Welcome to Alabama Short Stories, when you're a little behind on your Alabama history. I'm your host, Sean Wright. When I was young, I loved Batman. I was gifted a pair of Batman slippers and a Batman suit on one of my birthdays. It was a plastic helmet that looked like Batman's hood with a face mask and pointy ears. It was much too large for my five-year-old head. It came with a plastic cape and, best of all, a working yellow utility belt with special compartments and a batarang with a cord attached so I could reel in the victim I had just caught. Pictures of me in my costume are some of my most valued images today. Batman, the TV series starring Adam West as Batman and Burt Ward as Robin, ran on the ABC network from 1966 to 1968. There was also a feature film released between the first two seasons. The series still runs in syndication, and you can probably watch it on the MeTV network today. Its camp style and tongue-in-cheek humor distinguish it from Batman movies produced in later years. The target audience was teenagers, and the storyline would tell a moral story to this audience. And the much younger audience, such as myself, was drawn in by the upbeat music and cartoon graphics. Batman and Robin would fight their cartoon villains in each episode. Villains with names such as the Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler, Catwoman, and Egghead, among others. At the time, I failed to appreciate the talent that lined up to play these roles. Actors such as Cesar Romero, Burgess Meredith, Frank Gorshin, Vincent Price, Milton Berle, Otto Preminger, and Eli Wallach. And who can forget Julie Newmar, Lee Merriweather, and Eartha Kitt, who all took turns as the Catwoman. And then there was Black Widow, a villain whose specialty was bank heists. Batman's first clue to stopping her crime spree was realizing she robbed them in alphabetical order. Black Widow had a special power, a brain short circuit which she used to control men's minds and put them under her influence. It would take a special woman to take on this role, and producers knew just the woman, a woman from one of Alabama's great families, Tallulah Bankhead. Bankhead was born on January 31, 1902, in the second-floor apartment of the Schiffman Building on Huntsville's East Side Square. The first floor was the law office of her father, William Bankhead, who had been serving as city attorney. He would later become the 42nd Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. I should probably take a minute and talk about the extended Bankhead family and their connection to Alabama. Now, if you've lived in the state for any time, you've heard the name Bankhead. The William B. Bankhead National Forest is north of Jasper and west of Coleman. Sections of old U.S. Highway 78 are called the Bankhead Highway. Various schools in the state are named after the Bankheads, and you can cross under the Mobile River via the Bankhead Tunnel. We know about Tallulah Bankhead's father, but her grandfather, John H. Bankhead, was U.S. Representative and Senator. Her uncle, John H. Bankhead II, was also a U.S. Senator, and her cousin, Walter Will Bankhead, was a U.S. Representative. Three weeks after Tallulah's birth, her mother, Adelaide Sledge, better known as Ada, contacted sepsis. Before she died, she told her sister-in-law to take care of Eugenia. Tallulah will always be able to take care of herself. William Bankhead was in shock over his wife's death. He was grieving and still had to do his job. And with the newborn Tallulah and one-year-old Eugenia at home, it was too much for him to handle. Bankhead sent the girls to live with his parents in Jasper when Congress was not in session, and the rest of the time with their aunt Marie Bankhead Owen and her husband, Thomas Owen, in Montgomery. 
Growing up, Tallulah wanted nothing more than to be the center of attention. She would do anything she could to get it. She sang, did cartwheels, recited literature, and performed for families and friends. She would also throw tantrums and hold her breath until she turned blue. Today, she might have been diagnosed with ADHD or something similar and been given medication. Since that wasn't available then, she and her sister were shipped off to boarding school. And not just any boarding school. Because of their age, the sisters were sent to the Convent of the Sacred Heart in Manhattanville, New York. Bankhead was described as homely, or a little overweight compared to her older sister, who was slim and prettier. Things changed when they became teenagers. Picture Play magazine was running a contest with the prize of a trip to New York plus a movie part. Bankhead, then 15, sent a photo but forgot to add her name and address. She found out she won when browsing through the magazine at the drugstore, she saw her picture with the caption, Who is she? Despite his misgivings, her father, now U.S. Congressman Bankhead, sent a letter to the magazine and included a duplicate photo for proof. She earned $75 for three weeks of work on the silent filmed Who Loved Him Best? Bankhead and her Aunt Louise, serving as a chaperone for the teenager, soon moved into the Algonquin Hotel where all the New York actors and artists lived at the time. Her father agreed to finance the stay in New York. Bankhead would have bit parts in movies and on the stage during the next couple of years. As soon as she turned 18, she left for Paris to volunteer with the Red Cross and, more importantly, left the control of her aunt. If it isn't apparent, Bankhead had an outgoing personality and loved to party. She moved in with the actress Bijou Martin, who soon introduced her to cocaine and marijuana. But she drew the line at alcohol because she promised her father she would not drink. Or as she said, My father warned me about men and booze, but he never said anything about women and cocaine. And one of my favorite lines on the subject, Cocaine isn't habit-forming. I should know. I've been using it for years. Bankhead was quick-witted and would leave quotes that papers loved. Success was not coming as fast as she had hoped, and New York was not where it was going to happen. She received a cable from a London theater director who recommended her for a substantial part in the play, The Dancers. She was a star when she stepped on the stage and would remain in London for the next eight years, performing in various plays. She loved the adoration, blowing kisses to the audience and saying, Thank you, darlings. The way she would say darlings with a raspy voice would be a signature for the rest of her life. She loved the theater, but it was suffering from the worldwide depression. At the same time, motion pictures with sound were taking off. Bankhead signed a contract with Paramount Studios and moved to Hollywood. Her first movie was Tarnished Lady in 1931. She starred in a few other films before making Devil in the Deep, where she received top billing over co-stars Gary Cooper, Charles Lawton, and Cary Grant. She returned to Broadway in 1933 and starred in a series of average plays that would later be turned into highly successful Hollywood films for other actresses. Forsaking All Others is a film starring Joan Crawford. Jezebel and Dark Victory would star Betty Davis in the film versions. Bankhead was not done with movies. In 1936, David O. Selznick produced a little film called Gone with the Wind, and she was the first choice to play Scarlett O'Hara. Screen test went well and Bankhead lobbied hard for the role. She felt she was born to play the role as a woman from Alabama. Unfortunately, producers felt that at 36, she was too old to play the part of Scarlett O'Hara, who was only 16 at the beginning of the film. 
As a consolation, they ask her to play the part of Belle Watling, rumored to be based on Birmingham Madam Louise Wooster. Bankhead declined the role. As the 1930s came to a close, Bankhead was back on Broadway in the part of Regina Giddens in Little Foxes, the role that would finally bring her critical acclaim. She won the Variety Award for Best Actress of the Year. They enjoyed a long run of 408 performances, followed by a year-long road tour. She made good money due to the 10% of the gross demand she had negotiated. In 1944, Alfred Hitchcock cast her as journalist Constance Porter in the film Lifeboat, the story of survivors from a torpedoed merchant ship, including one crew member from the U-boat that sank them. Bankhead would win the New York Film Critics Circle Award for her role. In Tallulah Bankhead style, during her acceptance speech, she said, Darlings, I was wonderful. She continued to have success through the decades and into the 1950s, when television became a popular medium. She appeared on popular shows of the day, including the Colgate Comedy Hour, the Martha Ray Show, Schlitz Playhouse of Stars, General Electric Theater, and the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour. If your first introduction to Tallulah Bankhead is this podcast, or maybe you've heard of her but haven't heard her, go to YouTube and search for her appearance on the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour. She plays herself in the episode and will give you an excellent example of her sharp wit and personality. Her last movie would be the British horror film Fanatic in 1965. This B-movie would be retitled Die, Die, My Darling for the U.S. audience. Her last film role was Black Widow in the Batman television series in 1967. The producer warned her that her performance would need to be campy due to the nature of the show. She said, Don't talk to me about camp, darling. I invented it. She would appear on the Smothers Brothers show and the Merv Griffin show in the coming months. Her appearance on the May 14, 1968 episode of The Tonight Show would be the last time we would see her. She and co-host Joe Garagiola subbed for Johnny Carson. They had an awkward interview with Paul McCartney and John Lennon. Bankhead died later that year on December 12, 1968 in Manhattan. She was 66 years old. Bankhead died of double pneumonia, but she had emphysema from a lifetime of smoking and was malnourished. Her last words were said to be a request for codeine, bourbon. Tallulah Bankhead, all the way to the end. Hello, everybody. Tallulah speaking. I give you due warning, I'm going to sing. So turn me off now or never. Now, when you've recovered from the shock, if ever, I propose to warble to you in my very best Gallicurchy manner a little song all about, uh, uh, well, I'll give you one guess as to what it's all about. Love is a funny thing Who knows what love will bring Thanks for listening to this episode of the Alabama Short Stories Podcast. If you enjoyed listening, I would appreciate it if you would rate it and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you listen there. And if you know someone who might like to hear these stories, share this episode with them and encourage them to subscribe. You can also support the podcast by purchasing the companion book from Amazon.com, which features the first three seasons of the podcast. Thanks again, and see you next time on Alabama Short Stories.